Hello and welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Reverman. Dean, has your behavior changed any since, say, uh, hopefully once-in-a-century <laughs> pandemic came along a, few, a couple years back? Yeah, right? I mean, some things I do today, I didn't do before. Yeah? Yeah. Know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, around, you know, well, some good things, right? Exercise and things of that right, nature. Right. Maybe the things that I'm eating, a little bit different. Shopping. Are we going to go there so, today? Well, so are you one of those people that ha- developed healthier habits during the pandemic and not just sitting around on your couch? I continued, you yes, know, yes. Spooning ice cream in your mouth and watching Netflix <laughs> right. all day? Well, after the first couple of weeks, I became very cognizant of the fact that, oh, man, some of these behaviors <laughs> aren't going to work. aren't going to pan out really well. When we went from that whole, oh, it's just going to be a couple weeks thing to, exactly. oh, it's going to be a couple of years, we yeah. should probably, I get it. <laughs> Okay, I understand. All right, well, then what about your behaviors as a consumer? Oh, man. Everything's online. Everything's picking up on, you know, at the curbside and stuff like that. Omnichannel, all the things that we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Into that stuff. Well, well, that's our topic today. We're going to get into retail consumer behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got Tony Boncore with us from Honeywell. He's going to help us get into uh, the. uh, the, some of this, the you know, what's going on in the, the customer space, yep. uh, what behaviors have changed, mm-hmm. yeah, what's going on with physical stores, should, what should be changing there, mm-hmm. what, can, what should retailers acknowledge, what can our bars do to help retailers acknowledge Ooh, the current we're space. We're going to get into some of the tech in that we're space. We're going to talk about some of the go. new tech, yes. stuff that's come along, or what we might be keeping an eye on in the future. Very good. I think we got some some interesting you know behavioral yep. issues here to yes. discuss with retailers. Yes, yeah. I like that <laughs> behavioral <laughs> angle. Absolutely. All that plus our usual value of the VAR and what's tech connecting with us, it's time to plug in and get connected. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. Our guest today is Tony Boncori. I, I, I said it wrong in the intro. You told me beforehand how to pronounce it correctly, and I said it wrong the first oh, time dang. anyway. So, well, anyway. But, you know, hey, uh, Tony Boncori is joining <laughs> us today. He is the Global Retail Marketing Manager with Honeywell. Tony, thank you so much for coming on today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your day-to-day role there at Honeywell. Yeah, of course. First, uh, thanks for having me. It's a pretty exciting opportunity. So I uh, spent about 25 years in the uh, the the retail segment, both as a, an operator and um, later a supplier. So fortunate enough to come on board here at Honeywell and a little less than a year ago. And uh, my role is really specific into generating the, not just the sales and, and marketing strategy, but just as a subject matter, subject matter expert to bring some of the current trends happening in retail from a technological behavioral, you know, a workflow standpoint and just ensuring that, you know, Honeywell's focused on the, you know, the right areas to, to help solve some of the retailers' biggest problems. Yeah. Love it. Love Good it. stuff. And there's a lot going on, oh, obviously, yeah, as we've been talking about in this I space. feel like lately a lot of the guests that we talk to have mm-hmm. been like with their companies, you know, within maybe the last year or two fairly mm-hmm. frequently, but have a long history yes. of stuff that is very relatable to what they're doing. Yep. And that tells you a lot about, you know, that a lot of our vendors and a lot of our partners mm-hmm. are clearly going out there and saying, hey, we need to bring someone in yep. who, who knows their stuff about it, something very specific to our channel and mm-hmm. to what we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And and I think Tony's a perfect example of yep. that because he's yep. going to know a lot about what we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. So let's get into this topic then of this, you know, the retail consumer and how their behaviors have changed. So there was an interesting Forbes article I came across um, basically talking about the NRF, you know, the recent NRF show. Mm. And uh, they mentioned that the IBM Institute for Business Value and NRF released a consumer study prior to the event mm-hmm. where 72% of respondents still use the store as all or the primary 
primary part of their purchase experience. Interesting. I'm not one of those 72%. <laughs> However, the younger generations, I'm also not that, have shifting priorities. 36% of Gen Zers prefer a hybrid shopping Interesting. experience. Okay, all right. So, again, obviously, a lot of consumer behaviors have changed over yep. the last couple of years, but there was already some change kind of going on anyway. Mm-hmm. Now now that we're kind of getting into this maybe what are, you know, sort of a less restrictive part of the pandemic in many parts of the country and the world in general, what are you seeing right now? What are your expectations for the next year or so as far as retail consumer behavior is concerned? Yeah, so it's a two-part question, and I think a lot of us have really attested some of this you know, elevated approach to retail due strictly to the pandemic. I think the pandemic may have heightened and fastened some of the approaches retailers are taking, but I think the behaviors of the consumer were there prior to the pandemic. And there's a lot of innovations that started generating these behavioral shifts. The pandemic escalated them for the consumer, retailers had to adjust. So I always like to go back before the pandemic and say this started well a long time ago, maybe in the late 90s, and then coming into the mid 2000s, and then late 2000s when the pandemic hit, You've seen this shift of innovations, everything from social media to shopping online. You know, if you really think about it, Amazon is, what, 35 years old at most. So I think there's some of these behaviors that have started to occur prior to the pandemic hitting. The pandemic really escalated retailers to look at what the, where their budgets were from, you know, building brick and mortars and aligning accordingly, and kind of having a slow approach to what we call the, we call it omni-channel, and I'm not a, the biggest fan of that word, and I'll, I'll explain that later. But I think they've shifted their attentions now to really enabling their stores to to adapt to what the ba- the behaviors of the the, the consumer um, consumers are. Excuse me, and those consumers really have an expectation around having that same experience no matter what channel they're on. So if they're you know online, it's sitting in front of their computer on their mobile device. If they're in a store, you know if they're you know reading articles, reading ads, things of that nature, their their expectation is for that to be seamless. All of that has been escalated due in part to the, the pandemic. Now to the second part of the question, where do I see this going? I think you, the interesting thing of the Forbes article where 72% of consumers still feel comfortable going to brick and mortar. And that's gonna be, I think, that right there is, is critical. I think brick and mortar will be around for a very long time. How that brick and mortar is used will be a little bit different. So you're gonna see, you're already starting to see this. You're gonna see those brick and mortar locations being used as distribution. And I call it, you know, leveraging their enterprise inventory because inventory sits everywhere from their distribution centers into their stores, specifically with some of the supply chain constraints. So consumers are always going to have that go to the store, buy in store. They also want to have that option to your point is to shop online and be equipped. There's different, there's different types of consumers. So I think that's the other piece you have to consider is you retailers have to adapt to what the consumer wants, be it online, in store, mobile, computer, tablet, so on and so forth. It's it's a pretty pretty interesting uh, point for retailers to be in today. Let's dive a little bit into the transformation that's happening. You touched on it already about how retail is kind of having to transform around being a DC, a distribution center. I mean, this is to me this is one of the fascinating aspects mm-hmm. of how you know the the behavior of the consumer has and everything that Tony just mentioned has really kind of exacerbated the fact that now retailers have to react that they have this inventory the inventory might be spread across multiple stores could mm-hmm. be across regions across the nation but even it, it, down to the SMB level right i mean if they have just a handful of stores or something like that leveraging inventory is huge and and what has happened is now these retail spaces are now distribution centers i mean it, it, whereas it was just you know receiving you know a lot of times well right. now they have to flip that 
that, not only receiving, but make their inventory seen, uh, teach associates how to now to pack goods and stuff like pick pack and things of that nature. So what do you think, Tony? I mean, really transformative. Let's on the on the on this whole aspect of the DC, right? I mean, retailers have had to really flip a lot. Yeah, I think in so if you go back prior to some of these innovations prior to the pandemic, it was kind of separated. It was a dichotomy. You had distribution network and then you had store network. And I think the primary challenge for retailers over the course of the last 10 years is to bring these together and operate as one. So how so how do we do that? And so you have to look at the inventory as an enterprise. And it doesn't matter where it sits, if it's sitting in a distribution, if it's sitting in a dark store, if it's sitting in an active store, that 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 inventory is usable. So there may be purchases that are desirable products, you know, from a it's sitting in the, the southeast, but and then and someone in the northwest is interested in it. So it's sitting in in a in their enterprise, but it's not local. So now they can now they have access to it no matter where they sit. That particular location can then do it from a ship from store to that consumer. The consumer has no idea if it came from a store or if it came from a distribution center. So to that, to the retailers, it's really enabling their inventory to be enterprise ready to ensure that they're meeting the consumer demand. And they and consumers want what they want. They want it immediately. They don't want to wait. And that's another thing. I think with the speed of what has happened in terms of innovations and technology, consumers have become very impatient. They want something fast. Everything has become efficient. Let's get it now, get it now, get it now. So retailers have to adjust to that as well, too. And Tony, what's your take on, so that's that's the outbound, but we're also hearing a lot of stories about coming back, like returns and kind of that reverse logistics that needs to happen uh, as it relates to that. Uh, what's, what's your take on that? I mean, what are you seeing in the marketplace sure. and how these retailers are having to handle that? Hugh, that's a that's a great it's a great question and it's a significant challenge. Not not just from a displaced merchandise perspective, and I can go down a different few different paths with this. So, from a reverse logistics perspective, specifically in displaced returns, so you buy online, you return to store. A couple of interesting facts: seventy plus percent. It's between seventy and seventy four percent. Different different studies show different uh, statistics, but. 70 to 74% of a consumer is going to make a decision on where they purchase based on the return policy. So it has to be a seamless policy, meaning that it has to be as seamless as shopping, if that makes sense. If the return policy is strict, then folks are going to go elsewhere to a different retailer, thus impacting loyalty. So this is an interesting point because people aren't going to buy just one shoe, right? They're going to buy multiple, multiple, multiple of the same style of shoe, different sizes to ensure they fit. Then they're gonna bring it back to the, the retailer. So that's why that statistic's important. Now what happens is from a return perspective, retailers are struggling because they don't know what to do with this product. And then there's an element of sustainability that plays into this. Multi-billions of dollars of product every single year is thrown out because there's nowhere to, for the retailers to displace it. You're starting to see retailers now tell consumers, keep the product, we'll refund your money because it's cheaper for them than having to figure out what to do with it. On the retail side, there's a lot of movement right now, specifically in software, as it relates to developing algorithms that can help replace merchandise in the most effective manner, be it in a store that's carrying the product, because a lot of retailers uh, have moved into third-party relationships where they're selling product from third-party um, you know, vendors, if you will. So if that product comes back to a particular store and they don't have that skew active in that building, what do you do with the product? So there's algorithms being built at a software perspective that's saying this product is most effective and most active in this in this particular location. It'll it direct the store what to do, tell the store how to handle it, so on and so forth. Then there's another element of this where there's some you know um, 
it's called re-commerce where products coming back to the store then they're they're refurbishing it just determining whether or not it makes sense for it to be resold it sits on a third-party website and they'll re-commerce the product as a refurbished you can see this on walmart amazon they all do they all are doing something similar uh, to help in terms of you know bridging some of that waste from a return perspective so the consumer really is driving the retailers to have to alter some of this here the, the last point i want to make about returns is I, there's this <laughs> retailers don't want to get rid of returns and they, they don't want them to happen but they don't want to say don't come back to the store and here's why when you come back to the store that's foot traffic foot traffic re, that that converts to sales so conversion's important. If we're this, so, this is where I think this is going to be interesting over the next year. And I know a lot of this has happened because of the pandemic and people changing their behavior to shop from home. But this next, I think, 18 months, and it's going to be critical. Specifically, if you start to see some, you know, companies like Target, for example, announced this last last week that they're going to, like I mentioned, they're going to say, "Hey, keep the product. We will refund the money." How is that going to work for them? Is there going to be a, de a deterioration, deterioration in in-store sales? because that foot traffic is no longer going to the, to the store. So there's gonna be some you know, interesting things that happen from a behavioral perspective that I know I'm gonna keep a close eye on and see how these retailers adapt. Really fascinating. I mean, you're right on the return policy. Of course, it, it, it always raises awareness around Christmas time, right? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. all the retailers are saying, now be sure you know our return policy. Right, you got 30 right. days to return right. this. It's always like, oh, well, calculating the days. Okay, well, that's going to be after Christmas, da, 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 yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. But, but I mean, to your point, I think the, the, the expectation is, yeah, I'm going to have at least, I don't know, 30, 60, 90 days after my purchase that I'd be able to return that, right. uh, which which is is okay, was was fine maybe in a world that was pre-online or it wasn't as dominant on the online right. world where the expectation is you just bring it back to the store. Yeah. But that's changed a lot, yeah. right? Well, and let's be honest, it's there's a lot of retailers now too that don't even... They don't even bother with any of this like super strict return policy now. Mm -hmm. It's not that you know has to be within X amount of time to X well, to amount. To Tony's of point, yeah. right? I mean, it's the it's the experience, right? Exactly. And if you're going to have a negative experience, well, I'm just going somewhere else. That, right. That I can't because right? if you come across something that you've you know I don't know you've had around for a while and you just never bothered to use and it's still in fine condition mm -hmm. or unopened or whatever, doesn't have an expiration of any kind. The expectation for a lot of people is going to be, I can probably still go and return this. Yeah. And I, and to Tony's point, I think if you're the store that doesn't want to do that or has very strict rules, you're probably going to potentially lose some business. And again, this idea of like if someone comes in and wants to do that, there's a good chance, especially if they feel happy about the process and you say, sure, give me that back. We'll go ahead and take it back and give you a credit or do you want to shop around? There's a good chance they're going to look around and say, well, I like these guys. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I thought I was going to have to fight about this. There's a, there's literally like a little meme or a, um, a TikTok video. I think I saw or whatever of like, uh, you know, someone going into a store and, and you know, the woman's like making it, you know, returning a purchase and the, uh, uh, the attendant takes it back. And is like, okay, sure. We can do that. And I'll give you a, you know, a refund back. Here's your money. And she, and she kind of looks at her and she goes, um, okay. And the attendant looks at her and says, you were expecting a fight, weren't you? She's like, yeah, I, I kind of was. And she's like, all right, I can make it. We can, we can do that if yeah, you we want. Can, you know? We can make this hard. So she has like a little fight with her, you know, and the one's like, oh, you're going to take this to your manager. You better give me. She's like, fine. You know, like, right, so yeah. they have a little tiff about it or whatever, because that's the expectation <laughs> is that you got to fight for this stuff yeah. and you shouldn't have to anymore. No, you shouldn't. Tony, you were going to say? Yeah, well, I just say it's kind of, it's all true. I was thinking back like 10, 15 years ago when I was in stores working, if you knew there was some type of discrepancy discrepancy between a consumer and the store, a store associate, it generally was at the service desk about returns. So, but you're absolutely right. I think the other piece of all of this, I mean, you can sum all of these things up at the end here, but it really comes down to how you capture that loyalty. 
and re every, all these policies that store present, be it from you know online purchase to returns, it, it doesn't matter. All of them affect loyalty. So to your to your point is, does it make sense for us to be so strict that we're going to lose a loyalist, someone that we want to maintain and, and gain as a you know um, long life or a lifetime consumer? So return policy, it's it really it's going to be one of those things from a concept perspective that. I know retail and retail experts, analysts, everybody are going to keep their fingers on and keep a close eye on because it's interesting. I know Amazon applied some of this a few years ago in terms of how they do returns, but some, you know, to see some of these brick and mortar retailers follow along will, will be interesting and in how it adapts in terms of, of their financials as well as the, the loyalists that they're trying to attain. Really good take there. I agree. Yeah. And I still think it's fascinating. I don't know how it came about that Kohl's won the Amazon, re like if you need to yeah, return it, yeah. that is a coup if yeah. you ask me for Kohl's. I mean, talk no about doubt. getting foot traffic because I go in and return my stuff. at And you stuff know. that you would that you couldn't even normally buy at Kohl's. Yeah, not only, but you can just go yeah, return it there. Exactly, anyway. return yeah. it there, and then they one-up it. Oh, you can have 15% off of anything in our right. store. Thank you for dropping this Amazon yeah. thing. I mean, yeah. I think it's brilliant. Do you know how that came about, Tony, that the Kohl's I, I don't know how it came about. I know that there's, I mean, from a financial perspective, I think everyone knows Coles was looking at some, you know, doing different methods and different processes to help bring in foot traffic. I know that Amazon, you know, when they acquired uh, Whole Foods, they were doing something similar. So you could go into a Whole Foods, bring your re Amazon returns. They had it all set up from a process and systems perspective. Didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter if you purchased it at Whole Foods or not. It was just, it was a kind of a hub for Amazon. So I know they had that benchmark. Um, and I know that Kohl's was, you know, looking for ways to bring to your point foot traffic in and returns do that. So you can return something that you don't sell at Kohl's, but yet you're in the store, which is, that's really, that's the whole point of what marketing and advertising is, is to get people into store. So I think it's just another way to get folks in the store. And I think it makes complete sense. And I, to your point, I think it is a brilliant method and see how that works as well, too. A couple of things I want to dive in that you were talking about here real quick, because you, let, let's go back to the whole, what do you do with the product net when it's once it's returned? You know, in our industry, we deal with that. We have mm -hmm. RMAs, mm -hmm. but we work with vendors to maybe get new boxes so that we can rebox it. Right. And basically, it's a new product right. and we can sell it as new right. out the door. Tony, are you seeing anything from the vendor side, you know, the suppliers, the people that are making the clothes or whatever, where they're they're trying to help retailers in that painful process of returns? You know, I can see a world where maybe they simplify some of their packaging so that, you know, if something is returned, it can be repackaged yeah. very easily and sustainability turned into, issues, right? Turned like into a net no new waste. product yeah. and they don't have to like, oh, it's it's dented or the product is right, you know, the package right. is isn't exactly so we can't sell it as right. new what what's your take there tony yeah. you seen anything on the supplier side i i have and it's not necessarily on the suppliers from a um to the to the retailer in terms of product supply and i know there's some folks that are, are looking at you know rfid everywhere as it relates to the soft goods and soft lines so i mean i think that's one aspect that helps with you know inventory accuracy helps with inventory placement now from a supplier or vendor perspective there's some really interesting stuff happening and i I'll give you an example. There's a company right now that's looking at crowdsourcing in terms of how they pick up returns. It doesn't matter where the return, or what the vendor is, or excuse me, what the retailer is, if it's Macy's or Target or Walmart, it doesn't matter. What they're looking for is collecting that product as is, no box necessary. They'll pick it up. So think of, you know, DoorDash delivering your food. So think of this on the opposite side. Now they're going to pick up your return, collect your return, bring it to a to, you know, they'll, they'll source the return, bring it to, you know, a FedEx location or a UPS location. The retailer then has it displayed, placed accordingly. So it'll say send to this location on based on what that return is, be it a soft line, a hard good, a, electronic. 
That then goes in from after it's picked up by this 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 company that does the crowdsourcing. That then goes into where, whatever that placement is, and it'll sit on a pallet, and then and at a 3PL, and that pallet then is sent to the retailers, whatever destination of choice, be it to you know another vendor, to a re-commerce, back into their their active inventory. So it helps reduce some of that loss that retailers are experiencing from returns. It also helps reduce the cost of the return because it's sourced into one location. So not that I'm not seeing stuff happening on the the, the product side for retailers, but from a from a a vendor perspective, I think that is worth mentioning because these are the ideas that I, I think retailers really have to think about to battle this return issue, if you will. Not just on top of the, the placement when you bring it back to store, but if the consumer expects the delivery to them within 24 hours, they also expect that return to be picked up in the same fashion and manner. So how do you meet that high demand that the consumer has? Again, consumer behavior. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I've heard some stories about, I kind of opened up my world. There's a whole... Um, underworld's not the right answer, right? but there's a whole industry <laughs> around hidden world, hidden world. Yeah, thank you, you around Amazon returns, yeah. and like they have just pallets and pallets and pallets yeah. and warehouses, and they'll open the doors every now and then. And then there's like a mad rush, like when they open the doors at Walmart on <laughs> right. whatever on Black Friday, <laughs> right, right. right? And you can get the twenty dollar TV, and, right. and so there's just this crush of people, and apparently they're they, people make their lives doing yeah. this, where they'll run around yep. these pallets and pick out the best items, and then re basically put them back up for yeah. sale on Amazon uh, as new. So yeah, I mean, right, this innovation is happening. And so it's interesting to hear that crowdsource story. Yeah. And it totally makes sense to me that that's maybe where some yeah, of the innovation is some happening. Potential value there. Because I would venture that I, I would say the majority, definitely more than half and probably in like a three-quarter range of returns that are made, especially the Amazon stuff, is still in perfectly saleable condition. Oh, of course, right? Yeah. I mean, it's usually just a case of like, oh, this is You open it. This oh, isn't what I expected. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This isn't what I was looking wrong for. Wrong size. Right. Put it wrong back size. in the bag. Right. You know, wrong size, wrong color, something a little bit off, mm -hmm. something I just decided I didn't need. Yeah, exactly. So it, th there's a huge amount of value, I would think, there. So, mm -hmm. well... The one thing, I want to say one thing to the... So what as an e-commerce retailer like Amazon, they still have to inspect that stuff that comes back because the consumer can easily be turned off if they're sent something that's, you know, been, been you know, looked through, opened, something of that nature. So that that's another process from a reverse logistics perspective on returns. That is a strain on the e-commerce side of retail. So they have to do this inspection to ensure it's resellable. It's a good point. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get into this whole physical versus e-commerce thing. Um, and there was a some stats I came across from CTA.tech. It was mm. talking about, it was an article about the seven trends reshaping smart retail. As always, I'll have these links in our show notes. Uh, it says e-commerce will reach 19% of retail sales by 2024, up from 15% in 21. I know 19% never sounds like a huge number. Yeah, we're but talking when you're talking billions. about a multi-billion dollar industry, <laughs> billions. that's a lot. You know, yes. Even for that 4% increase is a lot of money. Absolutely. And 76% of retailers say that online stores are expanding their role as experiential and fulfillment hubs, which kind of hmm. goes back to what we've been talking yeah, about right? this whole time here. So again, these physical stores, they're not going away. You know, we know a lot of people still want to use them, and there's multi-purpose uses for them now, too. But how should retailers be changing their mindset about how to accommodate those customers that are either predominantly or completely shopping online and, you know, don't necessarily want to get out or, or expect to get out as often or, or use stores as often? What, what should that mentality, you know, create for these retailers that we're typically working with? Yeah, that's a great. I, so first, I don't think there's a difference in terms of the mentality in-store versus the mentality online. That experience has to be seamless. It, it has to be conjoined. 
So if you build a cart at home, per se, let's say you're, you're on whatever website, whatever retail website, you're building a cart at home, you should be able to go into the retailer and pull up your cart through whatever loyalty app, through whatever it is. And then, then they should be able to help accommodate whatever the gaps are in terms of product selection and things of that nature. And then vice versa. If you build a cart in store, you don't want to purchase it there, but you can see that, you know, um, there's product that you can look in showroom, but you want it to have it delivered. All of that stuff needs to be seamless. The consumer demands that. So to me, it's not just about brick and mortar and, you know, the online experience. And that, again, I, I, mentioned, I, I mentioned this all the time. There's only really two channels if you think about this. There's brick and mortar, and then there's e-commerce. Now, e-commerce is an interesting one. There's multi multiple tentacles that lead back to these e-commerce channels, be it through social media, through mobile, through your mobile commerce, e traditional e-commerce online, um, through live streaming, purchasing. All of that goes back to an e-commerce sale. So how do you bridge all of those from an e-commerce perspective with the brick and mortar? The consumer really wants that. And, and I also mentioned this quite a bit. Consumers are getting to the point where a retailer should know them better than their best friend. And I think that's a very interesting point. No, you know, from, a, from your birthday, your clothes selection, size, makeup, whatever it is, from a client telling standpoint, a consumer expectation from experiential shopping, be it online or in a, a brick and mortar, that's how that, this is, this is how retailers need to start thinking is, I need to know that individual, make them feel they're that important that I am their best friend as whatever brand I am. So it's a hard question to say specific to e-commerce in terms of what those shifts are. I do think this 19% that you're mentioning is, is very, it, it, I think we all know that's what's going to happen. I think it'll taper off a little bit. I think folks getting back out to your earlier point, I think Dean, you made the point around, you know, um, folks going into brick and mortar when they lifted the bands from, from the pandemic, they saw shopping as a, like going to, to a, an amusement park. Oh, finally, we can get out of the house and do something. So the, this is, I think this will also taper off a little bit. You'll see a, a decline in some of the e-commerce sales. And I think experts and analysts are saying the same thing. But if these behaviors aren't going anywhere. The, the, what has happened over the last two years that has elevated what was already happening over the last 20, are, it's going to, it sticks forever. And I think this retailers have to have strategies that align because to your point, a 20% e-commerce business and the 80% brick and mortar is billions and billions of dollars. They have to have strategies that align individually for those that bring both of those worlds together for the consumer at hand. Yeah. I can tell you as the father of a 19 year old daughter uh, and 11 year old daughter, brick and mortar is alive and well. Right, you know, they right. still like going to the store, <laughs> trying stuff on. Yeah. They do a fair amount of shopping online, right? right like, right. especially if they know exactly what they want. Like, right. They're getting whatever Air Jordans or whatever the shoe is. They know exactly what the shoe and they know their size. Yep. So they'll get that online. But if it's discretionary or like they want to make a decision or something, they still love going out and shopping. Yeah. 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 I, love this, I love this whole idea of like the cart that's following you around kind of thing. I do like that idea. I think yeah. especially like fashion retail is one in particular where I think that could be very beneficial. Again, you're online at home and you're like, man, I like this. I like this. I like this. Throw it all into your cart. But, you know, let's be honest, and it, you don't know how something's going to look until you try it on. You know, mm -hmm. like you have to be able to actually try it on and decide if it looks good on you and you like it. So I, I love that idea of being able to just do that at home, pick out all that stuff so you don't have to spend all the time walking around the store. And then being able to, I don't know, ping your store and just say, hey, I'm coming in on this day. And they have that stuff ready for you. And you go in, you try this stuff on, you figure out what fits. Your customer experience, yeah, right? And, and, and again, customer and again, experience. And then again, when you get there, when you have that that moment and you're doing that customer experience and you're trying all the stuff on, 
you as the consumer still get to decide how that stuff gets to you. Mm-hmm. Are you taking it out in a bag that day? Uh, maybe you recognize that what they had in stock was one size too small, so you have them order the other size and send it to your house instead. Mm-hmm. Is it something you're going to yeah. come back and pick up later? Like, I just feel like, yeah, we're at this point where if, as a, a retailer, if you're not offering all these options, if you're not putting yourself in a position to allow this kind of, you know, again, I know we don't like the omni-channel word, but this multiple channels of, uh, of, of ways to connect with a store and, and shop and pick up and whatever, try stuff on, you're just you're going to start falling behind, even mm-hmm. even though more people might be getting back out and are OK with the in-person shopping. Yeah. You know, as we've been talking about all along, it's that experience. It's yep. that feeling of what I'm doing here and what I did at home are essentially the same thing. They should know well, who I am when I yeah. walk in. And the cart is more valuable than your browsing. Yeah. I th- you have complained yeah. quite a few times on this show that some algorithm isn't exactly right on you because they think you're a mid-30s, yes. early-30s woman yeah. looking yeah. for a certain type like of fashionable fashion. clothes, yeah. swimsuits. Like, uh, no, that's not me. Yeah. <laughs> but a cart is a little bit more indicative of what you might actually be buying. Exactly, yeah. Tony, what's your take on omnichannel? So you, you're saying you don't like the word. Let's go back to that one or or whatever. What, what, what's your take there? Yeah, so I just think it confuses. I mean, here's here's what happens. So when you share with somebody that doesn't understand retail and you say, yeah, you know, I work in this omnichannel world. If you have to define what omnichannel is, the omnichannel means this. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. It's omni many channels, you know, okay, I get it. But it's confusing from a retail perspective, specifically when I was an operator in stores. I'm trying to explain folks, look, I'm, I'm in this role and my role is focused on omnichannel. Like, well, what does that mean? But I do think there's another way to look at this. So we've talked a lot about brick and mortar, which is the physical element of the, the retail side. And we talked a lot about the digital side. And this, I know you guys have heard this, everybody probably has, but I think the concept of digital, the physical and digital com- combining, the digital world, that makes sense. Because digital covers everything in store. It covers everything that's in front of you on your computers. It covers everything from a, you know, a handheld social media, if it's you know on your mobile phone, I like digital because it makes sense, you know, physical and digital come together. Omnichannel to me is, it's always has been. And I was a, I was a director of Omnichannel and I had to tell people what that means. So, but I don't even know if I would have said, Hey, I'm the director of digital. People would be like, what the heck? So, so to me, this, this is an interesting concept. It's just my personal preference. It's just easier to explain that there's a digital world in retail and then there's a physical world in retail. And the ultimate goal is to bring them together. And that's a huge task. That's why I don't know. I don't say I don't like Omnichannel. Yeah, I can promise you the word fidgetal is going to be in the description for this episode. Yes. I will find a way and to Googled include that and times. probably in the social media marketing too. I'm going to, that's, I like that. That's why, that's why Never I heard of that words. Word. Yeah. yeah. So you officially coined it for us. So there you there go. You go. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I coined that word. It's been around for a little bit, but yeah, right, it's definitely enough. a word that I like. Yeah. First we've heard. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, new, it's good. new to us. Uh, well, let's let's wrap up here by getting into the tech part of things yeah, because that's right. what our resellers obviously are concerned. I was like, all right, well, how? I mean, what can I sell to to do all of this cool stuff we've been talking about and yeah. make this consumer behavior work in my favor? Mm-hmm. So, what what new technologies are are helping retailers to meet these you know consumer these new and expanding consumer attitudes? And, and what should they be keeping an eye on for the future or expecting that might change doing right now, et cetera? To to stay on top of these trends and make sure that, you know, what they're trying to do and selling more hardware, services, software, et cetera, is going to fit into yeah. what we're trying to, what we're talking about here. 
Yeah, so that is a, a huge question because retail is an entire supply chain. You guys know from manufacturing to out the door. So there's so many different elements of technology that are happening within retail, within the entire retail supply chain. And it all comes down to efficiency. We all know that there's labor restraints within retail. There's labor restraints within many different you know, elements of, of commerce today. So really, really simply put, if it, if it makes a retailer more efficient in terms of responding to the consumer need, it is something they should be looking at. So I know there's big do-it-yourself companies that are that use they're using robotics for you know for picking and and their distribution centers. It's an, a more affordable way than you know having to staff with a human. They'll have one person that's responsible for four or five robots. Those robots can pick 24 hours a day. They're picking product that is being sent to the the end user, the con, the consumer. So robotics, I think, is 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 something that you're seeing specifically in you know some of the uh, the distribution side of retail. From an in-store perspective, really, it's you've got to equip the associates with the the right tools. Associates under associates are consumers. So if you think about it, they have adapted. They know what's happening from a you know a commerce perspective and a retail perspective because they are the consumer. So if they're not equipped to align with the folks that are coming in that they already know with a you know a handheld device that has access to all these you know wonderful things that we talked about from a multi-channel you know experience, communications, you know inventory lookup, price check, etc. They're already at a disservice to that consumer. The consumer is going to know what they're looking for. They're going to be knowledgeable. They're going to have more product knowledge probably than the associate. And if you don't have a just-in-time tool in your hand, they're going to struggle. So you're seeing this movement where there's, you know, retailers are equipping every associate one-to-one, a device that's equipped with the right software and solutions. And, you know, obviously I work for a company that that's what, this is what we do. And they, they have the ability to, you know, react to, to the consumer. For the future, and I think it's just going to furthermore go going into automation. And automation is important again because it comes down to efficiency and just the reduction of of staffing in in retail. So I, I'm I'm a huge proponent to self checkout. I think it's one of these concepts that has morphed over the course of the last 25 years. So you have your traditional you know bioptic scanners if you're in a grocery to, grocery store to you know traditional hand scanners that you you know leverage from a self checkout standpoint in your general merchandise or hard goods stores. Now, here's what I think is interesting. You're seeing a movement a little bit in retail with AI-based self-checkout systems where they're using images and scales built in. And it's to me, it's a very fast, easy, we put everything on this on the underneath the camera, it takes a picture, it tells you how much it costs, you're on your way, it's really simple. And you can connect that to some of the loyalty, you know, loyalty apps in terms of payment standpoint, it comes a really seamless experience low touch experience for the consumer. You're starting to see investment in that. I know that um, a few of the convenience stores have you know, recently announced that they're gonna start purchasing AI-based self-checkout. So I'm a huge proponent for looking into you know, technologies around that uh, as it relates to, again, that end user experience. So consumer, how you equip the consumer as they go into the store to be self-sufficient, but also ensure that they feel important is critical. And I know that's kind of, it, it's almost, an oxymoron to some degree, because you want them to feel self-sufficient, but you also want them to feel important. So the interaction has to be very point pointed to that consumer and what they demand when they're in store. So those are what that's what I'm seeing currently, and I think it's um you know pretty interesting. Again, I think in the next 18 months to to three years, you're going to see some pretty neat transitions in the in the retail technology segment.
Tony and I were just recently at an executive summit that Blue Star held, and, and we were dialoguing about some of these items. And one of the things that I found fascinating, because in my mind, and I was corrected, in my <laughs> mind, I, I had the incorrect disposition that I felt like a, a lot of the innovation happened at the tier one retail level, you know, right, and then trickled right, down. Right. And Tony and others, like Jeff Riley, corrected me. And, 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 and I now see a whole new level, right? The SMB is where a lot of the innovation happens. And yeah. I think, yeah. right, Tony? Uh, you know, they, therefore, they see what's happening in the marketplace, but they're a lot more nimble to be able to facilitate some say, of these things. To, you don't have to run up through a chain of no. 30 people and committees and board people or whatever to right. decide to make a dramatic shift in technology. Yeah, you know? so if you're, if you're a reseller, if you're a solutions integrator, and you have the same mindset as I have, th that's not right. I guess we're not thinking of it the correct way. Right. You should be walking into those SMB retail establishments because they, they're, they're hungry for that innovation, and they're willing to try some of those things because they understand the value right. of this whole experience type of thing. Like, for example, enabling associates, as you were touching on, Tony, to with mobility in the store to yeah. maybe even do a frictionless checkout You know, right, at that right. point in time or whatever it may be. The more frictionless you can make that whole experience, uh, that the better. Those are the right. people that are winning today, yeah. and those are the sales that you can make today. Um, but, you know, just opening up that mindset of, of trying to enable that Maybe it's a little bit of a software tweak, you know. It, sure, in today's world, it's an API or something like that to right. enable it. But you can do those types of things, yeah. right? I mean, can you imagine being yeah. a like an SMB retailer and being able to say, like, "Hey, there's something we can do that Walmart can't do." Right. There's something we can do that the Kroger's of the world can't do, or make it easier, that much easier yeah, for exactly. their customers, right. or fluid, uh, or yeah, or you, you would love the world where you walk up to somebody and, "Hey, I, we noticed in in your cart you had these items too, right. and would you be interested in these types of?" This is the innovation, right, yeah. uh, th that it's going to happen. I don't know. Right, Tony? Yeah. So I, I was wrong. Yeah. Innovation happens at the <laughs> SMB. I, well, I, think you're, I don't think you're wrong, per se. I think it's just you know, so bigger companies are very proprietary and private about what they're innovating. So they're like, no, that's ours. We're not sharing. Where some of the smaller businesses, I think, are a little bit more apt to say, hey, we had to figure this out. We didn't have a choice because we don't have an innovation team or this you know, huge infrastructure from an IT perspective. So we had to go and figure this out. Now here, check out this new innovation that we have. So I do, I think you, I don't think you were wrong per se. I just think it's easier to get that information. And there's an element of pride that comes from the small business community where they can share this information. That's again, my perspective. I will say this, the one, one thing though, that I think that I haven't mentioned, and I, I feel like I'd be you know, letting you guys down if I don't, Consumer behavior online is easy to track, right? You have credit information, you can track searches, so on and so forth. In-store is a little bit more difficult. And I think this is another element that I think is, is critical for the consumer. So we, you can increase basket size. If there's any way to track, and I know there's ways to track the consumer in-store, but tracking the consumer in-store like you do online is important. So you can ensure that you're meeting their needs. And I think that's another technology I didn't mention and I wanted to mention specifically, Dean, because I know I mentioned this when I was with you guys um, a couple of weeks ago through the Blue Star event, but this in-store tracking to help a and then provide a call to action that helps increase basket size in-store is another critical element in technology that I think retailers should be paying attention to if they're not already. And I know a lot of them are, but some aren't. They're a little behind the curve. On well, this Bingo. is perfect because we just had last week's Spatial episode, intelligence. Spatial intelligence with That's Panther right. talking all about that whole idea of tracking customers in stores. So, mm -hmm. yes. so put these two episodes together and you've got like a pathway <laughs> to some some serious retail success here for right? your customers. Yeah, so. yeah, but it, it but it is, there is movement there. Yes. And, and I like where you're going, Tony, about the, the uh, frictionless kiosk, I guess, right? I think I saw my yes. first example of that in a Phoenix in the Phoenix airport 
where they had one of those, you know, just whatever, those stands that you right, can get up right. and get the convenience right. stuff, gum, water, whatever. Uh, but they had this uh, self-checkout, but I believe it was camera-based. I don't yep. I don't know that they had a barcode scanner there. Yep. So it was just the AI saying, oh, that's the bottle of water. That and might, you said it was in Phoenix, right? It was in Phoenix, I yeah. might have seen that same one, too, because when okay. I was out there a couple months ago, yes. I, I, there was a similar experience that I had where I had one See? of those yeah, little marketplace things. Yes, that's No it. attendance. Mm-hmm. It was all just, you know, it was all camera-based. You just buy what you want, scan yep. it up yourself, and, and move and on. You yeah. 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 yeah, love yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I'll wrap so up. Circle, really, yeah, sorry. Circle K just announced this, so you guys know this is publication out there, that all, they're going to equip 7,000 stores with that type of technology. So the convenience element is is there. That's one of the reasons why I mentioned that there's a significant movement. And, you know, Circle K has always done a good job at leading some of the innovations as it relates to technology. So I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, yeah, no you're no, fine. Yeah. That's, that's speak, you're speaking my language. I'm all about the self-checkout. I've always been an early adopter. Any other time there's an opportunity <laughs> and touchless. To, to do it touchless yes. on my own. Yes. Don't have to worry about anyone else. I'm, I'm the first guy who will get there and do that. So. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, will... I yell at my kids, even when I go through self-checkout, I'm like, I am doing this. Don't touch the product. I got this. It's, self, it's self-checkout. <laughs> no, it's Tony checkout. It's yeah, like, it's, it's, yeah, it's, right. it's your place. Space. You want to work on it. Yeah. Oh. Well, I will wrap up this part of the conversation with a quote I found from Retail Customer Experience. They were again mm-hmm. talking about retail trends to watch. And I thought this was a very timely quote and a great way to think about this. As the fight for consumer dollars continues to intensify, emerging as the easiest retailer mm. to transact with is a winning strategy. Mm-hmm. And early adoption of emerging technologies may well be a critical part of that strategy. I think that's what Tony just said, right? I, exactly. Yeah. I think that's yeah, well the, that is the key here, and, and that is a, you know, a big takeaway, I think, for our VARs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll give them another takeaway here in a moment. Before we do that, though, we want to, as always, thank our Tech Connect members and sponsors, of which Honeywell is one. Thank you so much for sponsoring our show and for letting us Tony today, obviously, to have this conversation with. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, uh, as always, if you like the show, let us know. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe to our channel, leave us a comment. We want to hear from you. Um, I love seeing that stuff. Uh, if you're listening on any podcaster of your choice, if there's an opportunity to rate and review, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and review. I'm pretty sure we still just have the, the review from one of <laughs> your couple, kids yes, I know. up there. Oh, and I, you know, we, we get a lot of Someday star ratings. we're going to get, yes. But right. I want someone to leave us a review. Type Tell in us, there. This is your opportunity right yeah. now. Just go. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Even if it's Tony to was awesome. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Just leave that yeah. review. You don't have to talk nice about yeah. us. It's fine. Yeah. Tell us yeah. that our guests are amazing. <laughs> Uh, and of course, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, one, if you've got any ideas for the show, if there are Ooh. topics you want to hear more about, if you you know want to hear more from folks like Tony or another, maybe another angle of this subject you'd like us to bring him back on and talk about, you can send those submissions to us anytime. We always have a link in our show notes. Yep. You can drop a submission for a topic to us. And just for doing it. What do they get, Johnny? We will send you a Tech Connect podcast t-shirt. There you go. We need to actually be wearing those one day when we talk oh, about that. But That's um, a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a nice t-shirt. It's comfy. I, I promise you, you will enjoy it. And again, free, nothing for you other than just telling us something you want to hear about on the show. Love it. Yep. I mean, what more, could, what more could you want? We're not asking a lot of you. Uh, and of course, as always, if you want to stay in touch with us, you can uh, find us on Twitter. That's at TechConnectPod. You can also email us anytime, TechConnect at BlueStarInc.com. All right, let's wrap things up here with uh, first our value to the VAR. Yep. 
this is our kind of way of giving a little bit of a takeaway to our audience, like mm-hmm. something you can do. And Although take today's away episode now. was pretty chuck full I would, of stuff. I would I'd think say. so, but yeah. let's let's distill this down a little bit. All so. Right. Addressing customer experience with tech is obviously important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how can VARs also position their solutions as beneficial? And I, you kind of touched on this a little bit already, Tony, but we're going to dive into this a little further for the store owners and their employees, too. So give us a little bit of insight on, on how the tech that our VARs are, are out there selling, this full solution, software, services, all this package, how is it actually helping out the employees as well? Yeah, of course. I think it's, it, and this is a really good question, and I think it's a, I experienced this as a disconnect when I was a decision maker in retail. And I think it's it's super important that folks understand that they're trying to solve problems that satisfy the consumer. So if you go in with that mindset and you go in with the mindset that I'm trying to solve a problem for you to help bridge the gap from an experience perspective on the consumer, and you speak that language, unconditional if it's software or very specific technology, this technology solves this problem that you specifically have as a retailer. That is super critical and it speaks the language of of the end user in my opinion so when i had those experiences and folks came in and it's not just about a device it's not just about software it's about listen we know that this is a significant problem you guys are up against right now here are some of the you know technologies that we offer that help solve it and here's what we think the return is for you this is what we think from its statistics and data and financial perspective will you'll benefit that's critical. That's the language of the retail. That's the, the, the language of store managers. I mean, they're all sales driven. So anything that you can do to help, you know, increase overall customer satisfaction and increase sales from a, sol- a solution perspective and you speak that language, I, I, I think it's a win-win situation for both the retailer and, and the VAR. I agree with you. And, and we'll go back to that efficiency thing, right? I mean, it's all about efficiencies right now. So uh, have building solutions around that, it, it is critical. I mean, and there's some great stats on the Honeywell site as well that they, they, they kind of you know, paint a picture of the cost of inefficiencies mm-hmm. and, and, and how much wasted time there is without the technology that can be utilized to enable it. I think Tony's advice is dead on. Have some statistics around that so that you can arm yourself with good ROI walking right, into right. it. I mean, if you're going to try to sell a CT45 mobile computer, what what are, what is the ROI behind that? Have that talk track down yeah. uh, and talk about the efficiencies that it's going to bring to the whole equation uh, in enabling the associates on a myriad of levels front of house, back of house, uh, those types of things. Yeah. You, you really, you know, got to yeah. have that message yeah, down. Definitely. Yeah. You know what? I'll go back. to so I think it, it, Go ahead. It, it emulates almost the same behavior we talked about as the consumer wants to feel like they're the retailer's best friend. The retailer wants to feel like they're the supplier's best friend. The bars, they know them that well. Do your homework. Oh, Dean, I think you hit it. You have to do your homework and understand what you're trying to solve. Yeah. For sure, for sure. You know, I'll go back to something I think I harp on on this show a lot, which is the idea of having the same kind of technology in your work life that you have in your personal life, or mm, at least mm-hmm. as good, if not better. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I feel like far too many employers don't get that sometimes. And I'll, I'll go back to my retail days 20 years ago now, you know, like I, when I was, you know, getting more into like, you know, I had a nice computer at home and like was playing around online and all kinds of cool stuff with the internet was booming and and yet I go to work and I'm on and green, green screens. screens. Yeah. <laughs> and terminal. I have yes. very yeah. limited access to inventory data. I cannot I could not tell you what any other store had. Hold I, on, control I, F. Yeah. I couldn't tell you what was coming to my store anytime soon. Like, you know, it was it was frustrating to me to do that. And and honestly, if you think about it, a lot of times your employees 
your frontline employees, especially that are out there with customers are whether intentional or not, they're advocates for your business. Oh yeah. Not just in the sense of like, you want them to go out there and sell and be good with customers. But you know, if I walk into a, a, a some kind of an establishment and I'm getting ready to check out or someone's trying to look something up for me and they're like, Oh, this stupid computer. It's so slow. Our systems are crap around here. <laughs> like that's that you're sending a message to me, whether they like it or not, whether you realize it or not, they're sending a message like that. Your company's not particularly innovative. Right. And they're not bothering yeah. to have innovative technology. I know sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, people just will complain for the sake of complaining, but you know, you, you kind of start noticing that you start paying mm-hmm. attention like, Oh man, like these guys can't, you know, just pull up a quick check on inventory in a couple of seconds. It's taking five minutes for that. Or, you know, they just, <laughs> they just they, don't know. They can't process my payment fast enough yeah. or something, you know, yeah. like, like that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you hear them griping about it. It's kind of like them sort of griping about your company too. Mm-hmm. So why not equip them with the best technology that they can yeah, have? Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Well said. All right. Well, hey, let's wrap up, as always, with our favorite segment, What's Tech Connecting With You? This is where we get to talk about something from the world of science, tech, innovation that has caught our eye, has our attention, something we're excited about, something we're dreading. Who knows what it could be? (laughs) Uh, Tony, I'll let you start. What's Tech Connecting With You right now? I Man, I think this is a great question, and it was exciting because I'm not going to talk about anything that Honeywell does, but I am going to talk about the sneaker industry because I think these sneakers that are biometrically equipped are super cool. I'm an athlete. I've been an athlete my entire life, but now you have sneakers that monitor everything from how much pressure you put on your foot to your, your vital statistics to it and, and communicates with an app. And I think that's really cool because you don't think about it, right? It's on your foot. You don't have to strap anything else on. So it's a relatively new innovation and it's something that, you know, I know a pair of, check them out, biometric sneakers and every, all like New Balance, Reebok, Nike, they all have them. Um, they all do something a little bit different, but I, I love that stuff. So I know that's probably a little bit outside of the ordinary from a t- typical tech, but I, I love that stuff. So yeah, I think the biometric sneakers are cool. So help me understand, like, so if you're working out, like it's measuring the pressure that you're putting on and then that's relative, right? You would use that information to see how efficient you were in your workout and those kinds of things. Is that what it's telling you? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, from yeah, so there's, there, there's an element of that in terms of, you know, foot placement. So am I you know, are my heels placed correctly when I'm squatting? Am I then from a vital perspective, what my, what was my heart rate? You know, um, I know some of them collect uh, step, step data. I know there's apps, you know, like the Fitbit and things of that nature, your Apple phones collect steps. So there's, it just really varies. I think there's different apps that do different things, different sneakers offer different biometrics, but I just think it's a neat way to, you know, collect that information and see how you're performing from a, you know, athletic perspective. But yeah, that's. Can we agree not to put any like speakers or anything on them? They're like, I don't want to have to put my sneakers on. It's like, John, you haven't worn me in a week, you know? Like, <laughs> no shaming from I your feel speakers. Like I get enough yeah. shame from my watch and yeah. all my other apps. Stand, and stuff. Yeah, stand. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't need my, yeah. my sneakers to start uh, mouthing <laughs> off to me too. <laughs> Yeah, oh, man. That's good, good stuff. stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah. What's tech connecting with you, Dean? All right. Here's the headline. The James Webb Space Telescope. Remember that One thing? One of our favorites. $10 yeah. billion dollar thing yep. survives strike by micrometeor. Engineers say that the systems are functioning normally. So since this thing launched, and this is the, that beautiful, right. ginormous uh, telescope, I guess, yeah. basically. Taking uh, some amazing pictures. Taking unbelievable pictures. It's already been nailed four times by micrometeor. So what is a micrometeor? <laughs> might you ask what do you think what do you think a micrometer is i would guess like we're talking like seriously small like well okay so what's seriously small a micrometer maybe in size you know so these are this is smaller than a grain of of sand yeah yeah. but that can be dangerous in space dude yeah when you're traveling however many tens of thousands of miles and then one of these things 
yep. <laughs> it's yep. off of a mirror. It, it creates this little divot, right? And so, and that is got to be so frustrating for the engineers because I mean, <laughs> down to, uh, and these are point one of a micrometer is is what wow. they're measuring. So it is really small stuff, and right. they expected some of this to happen, right. and they engineered some of it. But the but I guess this one that hit was a little bigger than they thought it was going to be, and gotcha. now they're going to have to adjust one of the eighteen mirrors that is on this thing in order to compensate. I love that word. We're going to compensate for the micrometeor hit that was happening. Wouldn't you just pull your hair out if you were one of these engineers? Oh, yeah. I mean, you spent your life, tens of billions of dollars, get it launched up. It's a million miles away. Everything's running hunky-dory and then bing. Yep. Like you had to perfect this already. Yeah. There's this little micrometeor that comes in and hits your daggone telescope and throws the whole thing off. Exactly. Oh, my God. That's got to be. Space dust. Space <laughs> dust. Yeah, space yes. dust. There and, you go. I mean, exactly. but how much of that is floating out there? There's got to be a ton of that, oh, right? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean you not, down not to... even counting the space junk that we've put up No, this there, is a million miles just, away. But just the space dust exactly. itself. Yeah, what's yeah. already existing out yeah, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. I hear oh, you. Oh, man. I mean, yeah, I can see like a meteor. You know, I guess they, they'll they they'll just throw it away at that point if something right, big right. enough happens. But these guys are measuring it that small. It's like, oh, yeah, man, yeah. good luck. Space is a dangerous and terrifying place. Yeah. <laughs> when when something smaller than a you know, grain of rice or a grain of sand can cause potentially such a damage and harm. No, like a so. tenth of the size of a grain of sand, yeah. and, and they're worried about it. Yeah. You know, it's like, there's got to be a ton of that out there. Anyway, that was technic. Kudos was, to those people, too. That that's the kind of stuff the, you have to you have to think about yes. when well, you're putting you something out there. You and I can't get a good night's sleep because we're worried about retail or something <laughs> yeah, like <exactly>. that. <laughs> These guys are worried about micrometers. <laughs> I'm worried about if I'm going to like have a good intro for tomorrow's exactly, podcast. Exactly, yeah. You know, these, these scientists are worried about, about you the know, billions of yeah. micrometers. That are going to get this ten billions of particles <laughs> floating around in space. Yeah. So anyway, what's tech connecting? They probably get paid hell on more to worry about that stuff too, though. So uh, that's true. All right. So uh, remember Google Glass? Oh yes, the flash in the pan that was Google Glass. Yes, and uh, the fifteen hundred dollar yeah. per item. You know. Well, Google's got a new idea Ooh. with glasses, okay. but this one I think actually sounds very smart and not as we're not ready for this as Google Glass clearly was. Pray tell. So apparently, at the Google I/O twenty twenty two a few months back, they introduced and it was a very brief kind of like little video introduction. Okay. Not a lot of details yet. They haven't named it. They don't have a lot of information. But basically, glasses that can translate language. Okay, and then you see it. Yes. Okay. So, so let's say you know you are speaking Spanish yeah, or can't, you know Mandarin or something, mm -hmm, whatever, whatever mm -hmm. you're speaking, and maybe you understand me, you understand English, but you can't speak it back to me in English. You can only speak in your language. I would put these glasses on, which they just look like normal glasses, mm -hmm. and as you're speaking, a little translation's popping up in, in the real time of my in my field. With the now that's a good use of the technology. I think so I too. like this. I think it's a very smart idea. It's pretty very niche. Pretty maybe. yeah, pretty simple. But I mean, again, I mean, I know like you know we've got translation apps on phones and stuff, but there's always a little bit of lag time with those, and you know, and it's just can be a little cumbersome. But just imagine just being able to just slip on a pair of glasses, and you know, for me as someone who wears glasses all the time, you mm -hmm, know, give me mm -hmm. something like that embedded in, mm -hmm. where I could easily have a conversation with somebody. Again, you know, the trick of it obviously is like if they don't understand your language, they'd have to be wearing glasses also. Yeah, but assuming that they are and let's let's be honest for us english speakers in the world usually you travel somewhere everyone else is multilingual and we're yes, the idiots we're that, the idiots that only that don't know, know one language. Yeah, we know so, one yeah. <laughs> so it'd probably be very beneficial for us but i just i thought i'm like hey that's a pretty neat simple use of a 
of a concept that is not trying to That's go as the way they dramatically far them. as Google Glass. They should have launched yeah. it that way. They should have done the crawl, walk, run. Exactly. Right? Rather than the full sprint that they tried <laughs> yep. with the Google yep. Glass. I think they tried to do a little running first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There. Well, I thought so. you were going to say like a little microphone comes out in front of you and like you can talk through it. Now, like... I'm sure there could be an iteration. Like, they again, they didn't explain a lot about how all this works, mm-hmm. like as far as, you know, are there cameras involved? Did they show it working, though? Was it like they, a real the video, full-up unit? The, like it was a, well, no. It was like the it video. It wasn't awkward like when uh, Elon Musk came out no. with his Android and it was a person? No. <laughs> this was like a pre-produced video that, for all you know, could have had computer-generated graphics oh, or okay, something. You know. it, but, it, you know, conceptually, it was, yeah, it was yeah, there. Gotcha. So there's definitely a lot of stuff to learn about. And I'm sure we are a few years away from these being a practical use. But Fair enough. I just, you know, it's one of those things I'm like, that's a very simplistic step in the right direction for a problem. That, I like it. That does clearly exist I like it. there. Yep, so. for sure. All right. Hey, that does it for us today. That's what's Tech Connecting with us. Tony Boncori from Honeywell. Thanks, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it is yeah, time. Thank you for having me. It is, yeah. of course, time for us to unplug. So until next time, um, think very hard about all the micrometer stuff just flying around in space. <laughs> And, and hope, <laughs> don't let it hit you. Hope it doesn't hit you. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know, when, next time you need to get something translated, maybe find a nice pair of glasses. There you go. So you can see a whole whole industry built up around that. Fair enough. And of course, as always, folks, please stay connected. Tech Connect podcast is brought to you by Honeywell. All right, Dean, we just talked about the importance of modern technology to enable retailers to provide the experiential shopping that customers want. Yeah, and Uh, need. And need, yes. Yes. While also making their own staff more efficient and Mm, productive. That's right. All right, now Honeywell is backing up their expertise here with their latest uh, enterprise mobile computer, the CT30 XP. Nice. Already a winner of the Red Dot Product Design and If Design Awards. Did Pretty impressive. Know that. You put out yes, a new product sir. and you've already won awards. Bingo. Yeah. Like, Winner. That would be like like if we'd won like some kind of podcasting award. Wait, like if we, we released that? our first well, yes. Yeah, but, but oh. not not after like the first few oh, episodes. Okay. You know? <laughs> took us a year. Took us a couple of years you know, to get there. <laughs> <laughs> we did, but you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They weren't just throwing the awards. It was like, this is amazing. Yeah, right. Probably, mostly they were just like, what is this? <laughs> Uh, the CT30 XP combines the elegant design and usability of a high-end mobile phone without compromising the durability, manageability, or business functionality serious businesses depend on. Mm. Combined with powerful Honeywell software such as operational intelligence, smart talk, unified communications, and smart pay, contactless payment, the CT30 XP is an ideal platform on which users in retail, healthcare, and delivery can build effective solutions. It's loaded. That's pretty impressive. That's that a, was that's loaded a, with a lot stuff. Of stuff. Hang on, we're not even done. Uh. 5.5 inch FHD screen. Check. Slim, lightweight, yet durable. Check. Uh, it even has a pleasing curved edge aesthetic that makes it look like an upscale device for customer facing top tier retail or hospitality venues. Check. Look, I'll be honest, if I'm going into a high end store yeah. and they're using dirty old, yeah. scratched up, ancient no. looking tech. Right. I might think that represents their quality of service, you too. You think so? hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. It's just some beat up old Blackberry or something, you know? Like, gotta look like, good. No, it's gotta look no, good. Sorry. Yep. Uh, Wi-Fi 6 options, Honeywell's mobility edge platform, flex range, scan engine, enterprise software compatibility. The CT30 XP has a lot to offer your customers. That's a lot packed in that thing. That Come on now. Yeah. No reason not to be trying to stay out. To learn more, check out the link in the show notes or contact your Blue Star Honeywell representative.